and welcome to the first ever Will's AP U.S. History Podcast. I am your host, Will. This is mainly for my own purpose, but uh, the greatest AP U.S. History teacher of all time, Maureen, has told me that I should be teaching other people whoever people hate talking to me, so here we are. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about American Pageant Chapter 11, which has a name... Which I can find, I guess. My computer wasn't, you know. Okay, so the, the name of this chapter is The Triumphs and the Travails of the Jeffersonian Republic. Uh, so basically, Jefferson to Madison is what we're looking at here. So let's dive right in. We start in the year 1800. We've got the Federalists. Uh, they've made a lot of enemies from the Alien and Sedition Acts, which are really designed to keep people uh, from joining the Democratic Republicans. Uh, they allowed immigrants to be taken in, put in jail, or um, there's a word for this. The word I'm looking for is uh, deported. Um, and so they're sort of in a state of disarray. And then suddenly Alexander Hamilton and John Adams, which are the two uh, prevailing voices in that party, sort of are like, we don't really agree with each other anymore on most of the things. Also, I hate you. And that's that, basically, for the Federalists. Um, and moreover, they've also spent the last few years preparing for this war. That's inevitable with France. They've done that by uh, really getting the military all ramped up. And to get the military ramped up, you need to tax the people more. And then there was no fight with France, and there was no reason for all the taxes they had just levied. So overall, not a great couple of years for the Federalists. Um, so the Federalists have really no other option left uh, to other than maligning Thomas Jefferson. Um, and they turn the clergy against him, and it doesn't really matter, because uh, he's going to win the election of 1800 anyways, uh, with Aaron Burr, who uh, helped him win New York as his vice president. And Thomas Jefferson mainly wins uh, in the South and then the West, and this is male white suffrage that really helps him. But there's this weird technicality um, where somehow Burr actually tied him. It's a little unclear, uh, and the book is here, so I assume that's all we need to know, that there's a technicality and it left him and Burr tied. Um, so it comes to the House of Representatives, if you ask Lin-Manuel Miranda, Hamilton cast the deciding votes and screwed over Burr. Uh, if you ask American Pageant, uh, the House of Representatives just picked Thomas Jefferson. Um, and that really is the end of the Federalists. But one thing that it really does show is this concept of a peaceful transition of power, which the country had done once before, but it was same party. And so now the party, the keys to the country are being handed over to a new party. And no one, you know, no one's fighting back, which is really impressive. Okay, so we've got a new president, uh, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, he wins, he's inaugurated and calls for compromise uh, in the spirit of peace, and a lot of these ranks and conventional positions and fancy dinners and all that stuff, and he really comes out as this moderate kind of guy. Um, the Democratic Republicans, though, their main party background has been opposing the 
uh, Federalists. And now they don't have anything to oppose because they run the government. Uh, so all that Thomas Jefferson can really do at this point is undo all of the Federalist things. So he uh, pardons the Alien Act martyrs, uh, brings the citizenship uh, requirement down to five years, gets rid of the excise on whiskey from the Hamilton plan, but otherwise he oddly keeps the plan, even though it is really the cornerstone of the Federalist Party. Um, and he, he, in fact, he might expand on it a little. He makes it, the bank a little bigger. Um, and that sort of is the beginning of this sort of period of, not period of, but sort of shows the way the country's headed where it's going to be hard for one party to really rule the country and do what they want for a long time. Um, however, on the way to... Alright, so before uh, Anchor so rudely interrupted me, uh, we're coming back to this part. Uh, the Federalist Congress, uh, right on its deathbed, is... Um, trying to pass one more thing. They want to keep Federalists in power somehow, um, which makes sense if your party want to do that. Uh, so they pass this Judiciary Act of 1801. They install 16 new Federalist judges. They're called the Midnight Judges, and they're almost all exclusively anti-Thomas Jefferson. The Democratic Republicans repeal this, and they try and take a few off of the court, um, and they want to get rid of John Marshall, but they can't. Uh, they also try and remove another judge, um, Marbury, I believe, and he sues to the Supreme Court. Now, this is interesting. Marshall denies him um, the right to return to the court. He's, uh, Marbury's been removed. Marshall denies him the right to return to the court. Um, but he does it on this precedent of that the law that put him on the court was unconstitutional. And by doing this, he gives the Supreme Court the power to basically be the deciding word on the constitution they are the like they are like before this no one really knew who makes the decisions when there's a conflict on an interpretation of the constitution and john marshall established establishes this precedent of judiciary review judicial review um further really emphasizing the need for an independent judiciary branch back to the jefferson administration jefferson uh wants peace and keeps some money uh, and so he decreases the military size, and the Northern African pirates declare war on the United States, the Tripolitan War. Tripolitan? Tripolitan? Tripolitan War. Uh, so the military is back increased, uh, the Navy is sent out there, and they get peace in four years for the low, low price of $60,000, which is about a year of college, so... Send your kid to college or fix an international crisis. Your choice, America. So, we're in the early 1800s, the, the aughts. Uh, Napoleon has convinced Spain to give Louisiana to France, and they have stopped recognizing Pickney Street, which basically allows the U.S. to be hanging around the Mississippi River. Thomas Jefferson is understandably distraught, as the Mississippi River is kind of an important part of the country. Um... So he sends James Monroe, James Monroe and Robert Livingston to buy all of the land east of New Orleans for as much as $10 million, and if they cannot convince the French to give that to them for that price, they will go ally with the British. Uh, another key thing that happens is the Haitian Revolution. Now, because of the Haitian Revolution, where the Haitians overthrow the French, um, the Haitians being a sugar island, 
that the French have been using, there's no need for the food that they've been producing in Louisiana. There's no need for the French to have the food they're producing in Louisiana. There's nowhere to send it. Um, they have food in France. It's the purpose of expansion. You expand past it and you make more places to get more food. Um, so France is worried about this possibility of, uh, you know, a United States Britain treaty or the British having a portion of Louisiana. Um, so they sell all of Louisiana. They go up to the two guys in, in France and they're like, hey, what if we just gave you all of Louisiana? Um, to which those two guys say, okay, have $15 million. So they sell it, they pocket the money and hope that the United States are still anti-Britain. Um, so on April the 30th, uh, 1803, the sales official, the U.S. size doubles. Thomas Jefferson's a little concerned about the constitutional aspect of this because he's wondering where does this fit in into the executive powers of the Constitution. Um, but he decides that it's necessary, so he goes for it um, under the precedent of this is a foreign treaty and making peace and whatnot. Um, so he's going to sell this land for three cents an acre to the American people. So... The Americans no longer have any hope of an alliance with Great Britain. The fighting with France, which had sort of been happening on the DL for a while, ends. Um, they keep the French civil law codes in large parts of Louisiana. The Indians are also uh, kindly, and by kindly I mean not kindly at all, like they're really mean to them, <laughs> removed. Um, but this really lets the U.S. be true isolationist because there's no other old world power in North America. It's just them. It's the United States. So it's just the United States here in North America. Uh, I mean, you know, the there's I guess the Spanish have some Florida and a little bit of Texas, but it's, it's really the United States owns this continent and everyone knows it. Uh, so Thomas Jefferson says, hey, Lewis, Clark, road trip. And Lewis and Clark say, oh boy, we're going to Philly. And Thomas Jefferson says, actually, no, we're, I'm not going with you. And you're just going to go into the wilderness. So Lewis and Clark go out with the course of discovery and they find stuff they nearly died they really should have died they really should be dead they are dead um they should be more dead they should have they should have been dead for longer um they got some nice help from Sacagawea who you might know from her famous stint on the dollar coin um and this is really going to speed up the westward march because the U.S. has a broad idea of what Louisiana looks like Aaron Burr going AWOL uh so the Louisiana Purchase, Aaron Burr is like, can we really control this big of an area? Can like one small city way out there on one side of the country control such a large area? The answer is yes, but Burr says it's no. And he asks New England and New York if they want to succeed. Um, Hamilton exposes him and then they duel. It doesn't end well really for both parties, especially Hamilton who is dead over Burr is dead to the United States. So. You tell me who we have more pop culture about. Um, the Federalists also really die with Hamilton. I guess Marshall's still on the court, but Hamilton is the most prolific of the Federalists, even though he wasn't the president. And when he's gone, the Federalists know that there's just no hope of ever making a comeback. Um, so Burr then decides that he's going to go west and try and separate the west and the east and take a little bit of Florida with the Louisiana governor. Then Jefferson finds out uh, Burr's arrested, but gets off and sprints for Europe. Um, Cause that's just how he does it. 
1804, Thomas Jefferson is re-elected, which means another inauguration. Um, then there's this conflict in the uh, European, I was going to say the European Union, obviously a little far from that, in Europe. Um, really, the French versus everyone, it's like those Cleveland versus everyone shirts, Napoleon versus everyone. Um, Great Britain has control of the seas. On land, the French are really controlling the rest of Europe. So London releases these orders in council. If you are sending anything to France, you have to go through British ports first. Uh, Napoleon says, if you go to British ports, uh, we're going to capture your ships. And the Americans say, what the hell? So the Americans are like, what are we supposed to do? Tell me, like, what, like, wh wh where are we supposed to go here? Um, the British have also been a little more forceful in their enforcement, if that makes sense. They've been doing this impressment thing where they'll take U.S. Uh, U.S. seamen and then they'll enlist them. So in 1807, there's this affair in the Chesapeake where the British say to the U.S., we think you have four deserters. We would like them back, please. The United States say, how do you know this? You are not on this ship. Uh, to which the British get pissed off and fire their cannons. Thomas Jefferson has a chance to go to war here. He doesn't, but he could go to war. Um, instead, because the army, or the navy, pardon me, is weak, and war just is not really something that has been working well for the United States, and everyone still needs the United States raw materials, uh, he says, screw it, we're not going to export anything, and does the Embargo Act of 1807. He thinks that the... Europeans will notice, and then they'll figure out something among themselves. Uh, the economy suffers way too much domestically for the Europeans to even notice in the time, or in the time it would have taken the Europeans to notice for it to be worth it. So there's this huge upspurt of illegal trade on the Canadian border. And the Federalists have a nice little comeback tour. It's like the Phineas and Ferb one-hit wonder show. Like they they have their one-hit wonder, and then they return triumphantly to. Uh, VHS, I think it was. Anyway, Phineas and the Furbats. Anyways, um, Congress repeals the embargo in 1809 with the Non-Intercourse Act, which basically says world trade with everyone but Britain and France, which is useless. Uh, Britain and France are too determined, um, and France doesn't really rely on the Americans, especially after these Latin American revolutions have just happened. Everyone hates the embargo. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Will's A-Push Podcast. Phineas <laughs> and the Furbats or whatever, it never gets old. Um, Alright, this embargo it happened, it's been repealed, no one in Europe really cares about it, um, and everyone hates it, so the embargo's there and it's gone. Thomas Jefferson, he has done his time, he has done his two terms, and he hands it off to his best buddy, James Madison, which means we have a new president, James Madison. <laughs> There is a lot of conflict in Europe just as Madison enters office. Um, Congress is just about to repeal the Non-Intercourse Act with Mafkin's Bill Number 2. Um, and basically that states there's free trade, we're happy to trade with you all, but uh, if Great Britain or the French close things off, we're going to restore the embargo against whoever does it first. Um, which is a weird strategy. Because neither of them really cared. It hurts the United States a lot more than anyone, but they go for it anyways. So Napoleon says, 
being the shrewd kind of guy he is, uh, we'll stop doing what we were doing by stealing your ships if you went towards uh, the British. Uh, if the British stop saying that you have to go through them first, uh, Madison says, you know what, I'll take the gamble, hope it ends this whole cockamamie affair. It doesn't. Um, the British embargo, uh, or the British don't stop, and the United States embargo the British, and that is the end of the United States old world neutrality. So, we're sort of in Jefferson's first term, the South and the West are making their first headways into states, and the West is, by the way, getting new states through the, um, oh god, whatever that act was called, that let new states be states. Uh, the Northwest Ordinance from the Articles of Confederation. Um, they like these new reps. They're called War Hawks, affectionately or unaffectionately. Um, and they're basically like, it's time to go to war with the Indians and the British to wipe everyone out, including both. Um, Tecumseh, who's a Shawnee, says that we need to stop this United States expansion, and he unifies all of the tribes east of the Mississippi. Uh, the War Hawks are like, are the Canadians funding this? Um, and William Henry Harrison decides to lead the army towards Tecumseh. Tecumseh, uh, supposedly they say, we're not going to attack. The United States says, we're not going to attack unless they attack us first. Um, Tecumseh's homie, the prophet, uh, as he is known, attacks them, and the Shawnees, unsurprisingly, as history goes, are routed at the Battle of Tippecanoe. Um, Tippecanoe? I don't know. I screwed that up. I almost assuredly screwed that up. Google, what is... What is let's see... Tippecanoe pronunciation. How to pronounce Tippecanoe? Pronouncenames.com. Let's see what this is. Tippecanoe. Oh, I got it right. Nice. Score one for Will. <laughs> um. So these warhawks have sent the army to uh, Tecumseh at the Battle of Tippecanoe. Tecumseh escapes and he goes to ally with the British. He dies eventually, and with him, the idea of a pan-Indian alliance really dies in full, which is really sad. Um, in 1812, war is appearing inevitable with both the Indians and the British are on their side. The Warhawks are really pushing it. It's like, it's time to destroy Louisiana Indians um, and get Florida, um, which is interesting. Um, the Republican experiment, uh, has a lot less confidence than it did at the beginning of it. Um, and I should just mention that the War of 1812 is really all of the failures of Chase Treaty, because the British are still in America. It's all the failures of Chase Treaty. Um, there's going to be a War of 1812, spoiler alert, I guess. But Madison says it's time to assert rights. He asks Congress to declare war, and in a shocking turn of events, uh, Congress says, hell yeah, let's go to war in June 1812. Um, the South and the West, mainly, it's the Warhawks. Um, the Northeast is worried about having new colonies in Canada, understandably, um, and so we are about to go to war for the first time since the American Revolution. Sorry, that was bad. Alright, so to summarize, uh, Jefferson is in office, the Federalists are dead, Hamilton is dead, uh, the United States' size has doubled, 
Uh, Burr is elsewhere, has fleed the country. Madison is now in office. Uh, the U.S. has tried to embargo and failed, and then tried to re-embargo and failed again. Um, and these war hawks have declared war on the Indians and the British because of all the failures of Jay's treaty earlier, which left the British stupidly in the United States, um, which I guess you can attribute to Hamilton uh, a little bit. So that's where we are. That's the end of chapter 11. We're going to move on to chapter 12 in approximately 17 seconds. Um, to all two of you out there, thanks for listening. And I'll see you soon, or I guess talk to you soon.